0: Hello, everyone. My name is Roxanne, and thank you for tuning in to KCSU Fort Collins. You're listening to the best and the only disaster capitalism podcast in Larimer County, Decorporatizing Disaster. I am joined in the studio today by my friend and classmate, Olivia.
1: Hello, Roxanne. A pleasure to be here. Today on our podcast, we're going to break down what disaster capitalism is. We'll talk about some examples of acute versus slow onset disasters, And we'll finish up with a discussion about what comes next.
0: So, Olivia, what exactly is disaster capitalism?
1: Roxanne, I'm so glad Mm -hmm. you asked. Well, to understand disaster capitalism, we first have to understand disasters. We're all familiar with the disasters we see on the news. The earthquakes, wildfires, hurricanes, and tsunamis. These are examples of acute disasters. These are ones that come on suddenly with little to no warning. They're usually very destructive, but they don't typically last a very long time. On the other hand, there's another kind of disaster which is lesser known but can be much more deadly, the slow-onset disaster. Slow-onset disasters don't occur suddenly but develop over a long period of time. Droughts, famine, climate change, pollution, and even pandemics are all examples of these so-called slow-onset disasters. Disaster capitalists are those who exploit money-rich sites of disaster in ways that are unethical, largely unmonitored, and immensely profitable. That definition, by the way, is from the 2007 book Standing in the Need by Dr. Kate Brown.
0: Yikes. So that sounds pretty horrible. Who are these disaster capitalists anyway? Disaster capitalists can be a bunch of different things.
1: But the ones we mainly see in the news are big oil companies like Exxon and BP, as well as government contractors and chemical manufacturers like Monsanto or DuPont. In her book, Brown discusses how following the devastation of Hurricane Katrina, when FEMA arrived to the site in St. Bernard Parish, Instead of allowing the eager local hauling and repair companies to clean up the wreckage, FEMA gave all the multi-million dollar contracts out to out-of-state corporations. This delayed the recovery process and cost the government way more than contracts with local businesses would have. And it hurts the local economy that they're trying to rebuild in the first place.
0: Yeah, that just doesn't even make any sense. Is this only happening in America?
1: Oh, certainly not. When the 7.0 magnitude earthquake struck Haiti in 2010— the nation became a hotspot with lots of media attention in the wake of a disaster. This semester, during a lecture by a disaster anthropology graduate student, John McGreevy, we discussed how despite their good intentions, many of the disaster relief organizations did not provide effective relief to Haitians. One organization set out to build Haitians' new houses. Over 100 of these brand new houses were built with state-of-the-art kitchens in them. If the disaster relief organization had done local research, they would have known that Haitian cooking is done almost entirely outside, This can happen, though, when companies want to help out, but only in ways that look good to shareholders, meaning they have to bring in some physical proof that they were there and help the people, even if it wasn't actually that practical for the people they are supposed to help.
0: Do the disaster capitalists just want money, or what is all of this about?
1: Money is a big part of it, but there's also another side known as disaster opportunists. Like disaster capitalists, they take advantage of disasters, but they do it for political gain or power. The two can also overlap most of the time they do. In Flint, Michigan, local government had been suspended following the Public Act 436, the Emergency Manager Law. Public Act 436 allowed the governor to appoint emergency managers to financially stressed cities, like Flint, and gives them near-absolute decision-making authority, including overriding decisions made by the mayor, city council, and school board. Emergency managers are non-elected officials, accountable only to the governor and not the locals. One of the most important decisions these emergency managers made without any say from the community was on April 2013 when an emergency manager approved the switch of Flint's water supply from the Detroit water system to a new system being constructed by the Karagandi Water Authority.
0: So you mentioned slow onset disasters earlier. Do these appear naturally or, or what? How do, how do they happen?
1: That's an excellent question. Believe it or not, there are many instances when both slow-onset and acute disasters have been caused by the disaster capitalist corporations themselves. In the 1962 Mm -hmm. classic Silent Spring, Rachel Carson describes the endless death and destruction caused by poisonous pesticides like DDT or parathion. These chemicals were developed during World War I by companies like Dow and DuPont. These pesticides were dropped indiscriminately over fields, forests, farms, and neighborhoods throughout the 50s and 60s. The sites where pesticides were dropped became toxic. Birds seized and fell out of the trees by the millions. And in many cases, the loss of the birds, the bugs' natural predator, the season after the pesticides were dropped, the bugs came back even stronger. These pesticides were known to cause sickness, cancer, death in people and animals, but the chemical companies insisted they were safe and encouraged every farmer to use them as a way to protect their crops from pests. So they still kept getting used, even though they were dangerous and largely ineffective. That's awful. Oh, but there's more. In 1989, the Exxon Valdez oil tanker ran aground in northern Alaska and spilled over 11 million gallons of crude oil into the Prince William Sound. In the documentary Black Wave, we see representatives from Exxon fail to take responsibility. And without any idea how to clean up the oil, 97% of those 11 million gallons of oil ended up staying in Prince William Sound. This had disastrous consequences the salmon fisheries collapsed, which is a main source of industry for the small Alaskan town. And the workers who took part in the cleanup reported becoming ill and experiencing debilitating side effects that many of them experienced for the rest of their life due to the exposure for the toxic fuel. Another example of this is Cancer Alley in Texas with the highest cancer rates in the U.S., largely due to the fact that it's the site of the most oil refineries in the U.S. These oil companies know their operations kill people, but as long as the money keeps coming, they just don't care. The health effects of events like Exxon Valdez oil spill and Cancer Alley are incredibly powerful and long-lasting.
0: That just all sounds so terrible. Is there anything we can do about it? Clearly, federal
1: government needs to invest in local communities, in disaster situations, and corporations need to be held accountable for their actions. Effective disaster relief is meant to empower the communities affected by the disaster and make them more resilient to the disasters in the future. Disaster capitalists, however come in and undermine the relief effort and ultimately can make the situation worse than it was before they arrived.
0: Once again, I'm Roxanne.
1: I'm Olivia, and thank you so much for listening to Decorporatizing Disaster.